Welcome to allthingsnew.tech, where we are exploring the intersection of theology and technology. Technology is changing our jobs, relationships, and even our identities. It's easy to get excited about all the new things. But as Christians, we also believe that God is redeeming this world through His effort, making all things new. This podcast features conversations with entrepreneurs, technologists, and innovators, examining how technology transforms our understanding of God, His creation, and what it means to be human. Today, Paul Taylor from All Things New is talking with Victor Ho, CEO and co-founder of Five Stars. They offer small businesses a kind of mobile punch card experience. Ultimately, their goal is to turn every transaction into a relational experience by boosting familiarity and recognition. Paul and Vic will be talking about the difference between a personalized experience and a personal encounter. They'll reflect on how a personal God shapes our interactions and why people think they want anonymous experiences. One of their central questions is how technology can actually assist and promote the creation and deepening of real relationships. Please enjoy their conversation. Well, this is Paul Taylor with AllThingsNew.Tech, and I'm sitting here with Victor Ho, CEO of Five Stars. Uh, Vic and his co-founder, Matt, founded Five Stars eight years ago um, after Vic spent two years with McKinsey. And Vic and I had a great conversation a few weeks ago about the purpose of his company and mission and, and how, uh, how technology can actually enable relationships rather than detract from them. So we're going to be chatting a bit about that and Vic's story. So I hope you enjoy this, uh, this episode. Thanks for having me, Paul. Yeah, it's, it's great, to, great to chat with you. Why don't you start? I always like to ask people in tech just why they got into tech in the first place. Like what, what was it maybe as a kid or whenever you kind of started tinkering with technology, what was it that attracted you to it? Oh, wow. Um, I don't know that there was ever a conscious moment when I decided to get into technology. Uh, I, I definitely was always driven by a sense of curiosity. I've always loved technology. And so um, when it came to starting a business, and there's a story behind that, I felt directed very clearly to start a business. I don't think there was almost even an option in my mind. It's almost like you're, you know, you swim in water and you don't right. even notice it. I mean, this is probably the first moment with this question that I even thought about some decision must have been made at some point, but no, I've, right. I've never consciously thought about Why that. tech and not textiles? Or yeah, I mean, just I, it was never even a, a natural <laughs> thing to do. I couldn't even conceive of the alternative until this moment. Right. That's great. That's probably, that probably says something. Well, tell us a little bit about Five Stars and, and the vision behind it and starting it and that, that story. Uh, so the mission of Five Stars is to help local businesses, and we believe the most powerful way to do that these days is to help them build tighter relationships with their customers. And in general, the way we think about it is it wasn't so long ago when you you know were part of a smaller town and you knew all the people in your local community. You know, the same person cut your hair for 15 years and the same, you went to the same restaurant for decades and they knew all these things about you. You're, you know, forget about the convenience of your regular order and things like that, but they knew about your story, your parents, your sister, and all of that. And that really is the competitive advantage uh, of a small business owner. They're never going to compete with Walmart on prices or Amazon on selection or McDonald's on you know, hamburger meat that never spoils or right, anything like yeah. that. Artificial right? it's, something. It's really about that experience. And um, 
when and you know one simple uh, example thought exercise is if you were going to take your wife on a date, would you take her to you know Walmart or would you take her to uh, a, a downtown with a bunch of little boutiques? Or right. if you went to Paris on vacation, would you go eat at Pizza Hut or would you go eat at the local uh, the local shops? And yeah. uh, it's obvious, you know, when you think about a small business, their distinctive advantage is really that experience that you get. Now, what we had observed and what was kind of ironic is that as personalization has completely died, you know, I go to the, my local coffee shop these days, often they don't even know uh, who I am, let alone even make eye contact with me as they take my credit card. They are also going out of business at record rates. Right. And the irony is when you look online, let's say you go on Amazon, Amazon knows everything about you. You log in and suddenly they know you know, your credit card and your address and your preferences and there's all sorts of crazy personalization going on. And, and so our hope was to take the technology that sort of Fortune 50 brands had available to them, bring it to the small business owner, and then trust that once that person behind the counter who actually cares about you knows who you are, they will be able to create exceptional experiences uh, that help give them uh, a unique place, you know, in the ecosystem. Yeah. So a lot of themes you already brought up that I want to explore with you, um, because I remember chatting with you before about, yeah, Amazon, uh, and you use the word personalization. And Mm -hmm. and I like that phrase because it's it's the outcome of a process of attempting to be personal. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if there's a distinction between personalization and personal. And it seems like what you're what you're hoping for is to provide information to people to make an actual personal encounter versus like this kind of corporate structured personalization, which isn't actually very personal at all. Amazon doesn't know me. Amazon has no intimate knowledge of my life. They know my name. They know my spending habits. They know lots of stuff about me, but they don't know me. Mm -hmm. And it seems like you're, you're hoping to use information to make it personal is that a fair distinction you think yeah i think that distinction you're making is actually a very astute observation Mm -hmm. i would say that what we're trying to do lies at the heart of that distinction so uh, a picture that we paint for people often is on the one hand and i suppose this is what you would be my personal you have cheers where everyone knows your name and it's this warm community yeah and on the other hand we we take the scene from minority report where if you've seen the movie there's a there's something that scans people's eyeballs as they're just walking by and they personalize all the ads they're seeing right. in almost this very dystopian way. Yeah. Uh, and, and there's almost too much noise as all these you know, fake things who clearly don't know you or saying your name and yelling at you right. to get you to look at their advertisement. And that's absolutely the – you know, the, the way we see the future evolving, you know, we think technology could be yielded either for good or for bad. Right. It's, you know, and, and there is very much a world where uh, people get replaced by kiosks. Uh-huh. And, every, and you already see that, you know, at a lot of places. And everywhere you go, things are personalized. But kind of the, the heart of that has completely died. And so we want to create something where um, it really reinforces the personal connection where you feel known as a human and actually cared for within the context of a relationship with another person, yeah. uh, and and not and in addition to that, we also want to bring the convenience that is associated with personalization that you've also come to expect. Right, right, because that becomes what I want. I I, I want things to be quick. I want them to be easy. But but I think it's it's a lofty goal to say what what I really do want is to connect with another person mm-hmm. in the encounter, and you. 
you said earlier um, when we met last time that you are hoping to make transactions into relationships or, yes. or, or, or make transactions relational. Mm-hmm. And I think that's another way of saying the same thing. But it seems like a lot of times it, it, it's optimistic to say that's what we want. You know, mm-hmm. because I think right. so many people don't want relationship. They, they, they want transactions. But, mm-hmm. but I think it's really true to how God created us mm-hmm. and who we are as people that we really crave relationship, but we're settling for transactions. Yes. I, I, I would actually say that what you're pointing out is precisely what's difficult about this business is um, it's when we think about relationships, we believe that is how God has designed us. And there are there's all sorts of research out there that shows that show that when you are in a place where you're anonymous, you just imagine yourself kind of floating through the world through your neighborhood, nobody knowing who you are. There's all sorts of all sorts of studies that show that uh, dep- depression is higher, you know, rates of philanthropy are lower. Right. All, all sorts of things like that happen in environments like that. But you know, at, at the same time, that is kind of the the temptation or the the fallenness, you know, I, I there's a lot of things that uh, you know aren't good for you, but that you want to do, and so we are trying to figure out how best to capture that, you know, the redemptive view, but also give you the convenience and the the quick satisfaction and all the things that people also have been trained to want. <clears throat> yeah, that seems like. A lot of things to juggle at once. Yeah. <laughs> but I love that idea. I, it makes me think I recently preached on Psalm 1, and at the end of the psalm um, is this phrase, but the Lord knows the way of the righteous. And there's, mm-hmm. this, there's this knowledge, and I think that's what gets to the heart of it. And I wonder, what do you think drives – I mean, I think people want anonymity, or, or they think they want anonymity, but then they also want this personalized – they want like a personalized anonymity. Mm-hmm. What do you think – is it just convenience? Is it just we're busy and we want things to go quickly? What do you think drives that? You know, I, I don't know that I have a great articulation of where that comes from. I, I, I just think of, like, seven deadly sins, and I think of just general fallenness and stuff like that. I mean, most of the things that we just we, – we think we want, we superficially want – are not good for us, right? We think we want to eat a bunch of sugar. We think we want to sit right. in front of Netflix for a long place of period of time. We think we want to sleep around and get that next hit. Yeah. But I feel like the the beauty and profoundness of the Bible is it tells us what we really want, what our soul deeply craves when right. that sort of quick hit has gone away. You know, it, it leaves you empty unless you pursue the truths laid out there. And so, yeah, I, I, I think I want... The whole world to be focused around me, and so when I fl- when I go out into the world, I want to be served really quickly. I want things to be uh, cheap. I want them to be fast. I don't want to be held down by you know another human. But at some point, that leaves you feeling empty. Right. And um, actually, even when you look at how sort of cities and um, villages and all that evolved, how it came to be, the at the beginning. The, the marketplace used to be the hub of relationship, right? right? You were either at home or you were in the marketplace. <laughs> yeah. And if you even look at the ministries of, you know, Jesus along the apostles, all of them were in the marketplace, right? They were fishermen or carpenters. They, you know, there's not some distinction between, you know, where people, people are worshiping at each other's houses and, you know, their houses is also, are also their place of work. Yeah. And, you know, everywhere you go, you're known. And so one of the 
the things that is most tragic to me is as a lot of that dies, then you know so does the the, the relational center of any given place that you live. Right. Um, so you know we we hope to create an experience that enables that, but also rivals your expectations on convenience and all those other things to make it a lot more approachable. And so right. that's obviously a very lofty goal. I feel like we've barely scratched the surface on that yet, but um, our, our product roadmap is really all centered around that idea. Yeah, I think that's a great idea to make the marketplace a more relational experience. And, and um, one of the things I like to explore as part of all things new.tech is how the technology we use and create changes not just us, but how we view God. And, and it seems like the God of the Bible is a very personal God with very intimate knowledge. Even you know, the Hebrew word for know is often used for sexual encounters because it's an intimacy. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if we take this whole, whole idea of personalization, you know, that Amazon knows everything about me, Google knows everything about me, and if, that's, if we transfer that to God at all and we start to think that God... You know, I mean, there's a lot of people in the world. Like, God becomes this massive database, and, and his interactions become mail merges with some <laughs> boilerplate template that he sends my way or something, you know, like yeah. a, like an email from Amazon. And and I think we, we we so often tend to conceptualize God in terms of our experience in contemporary life, and, and we start to think God is personalized to us instead of personal. Mm-hmm. But it's a great goal to... To shift that way of thinking. Yeah. What I actually, a, a real, a kind of unrelated almost metaphor that comes to mind as, as you say that is uh, from Tim Keller. One of my favorite books is The Meaning of Marriage. Yeah. You know, it's, and it, it talks about, uh, talks about marriage, the, the, the God's view of marriage. And one of the um, constructs he brings up is he says, uh, to be, you know, fully known but not loved is our greatest our fear, hmm. right? To be loved but not known feels completely superficial, right? right? And what everyone really wants is to be both known and loved, yeah. right? And so if, if we think about that as, as a metaphor, Amazon would be the one where you are, uh, you're, you're fully known but not loved, right? right. And then right. Uh, the, the small business is the one where right now you're, you're neither known nor loved, or maybe you're known but loved, but, you know, <laughs> or, or you're maybe loved but not known because they, right. they, they have no way to track you. And so, uh, you know, God obviously has both he deeply knows he fully knows you and he deeply loves you and yeah and uh, i think that's what relationship is designed to be like yeah and i love that you're taking technology which can have the result of making us less known because we use it to become anonymous and hide ourselves and Mm -hmm. and you're using it to try to encourage relationship Um, i want to explore the idea of 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 somebody's name mm-hmm. because I think that that's a very common way to personalize something. When, when Amazon emails me, it says, dear Paul, mm-hmm. right? Um, and the Bible, you know, I mean, the, the Bible reveals a God who shares his name, who calls his people by name. There's a lot of the power of the name and identity. And is that something that as you wrestle with technology and product roadmap and stuff like how how does the name figure into that it seems like name is a deeply theological thing mm-hmm. of personhood yeah we we certainly believe that there is a lot of power in a name and when we think about even just what step one is in terms of uh, building 
someone building relationship with you, name is the very first thing, right? When you first meet someone, uh, you introduce yourselves. And when they actually remember your name, that's kind of the beginning of the relationship, right? Like right. if you meet them a second time and they actually remember you, there's immediately that feeling of like, oh, I meant something to them. They remember my name. And when you think about a small business, that's precisely what uh, the beginning of what used to happen. You know, you walk into a small business and that owner knows the names of all the different people that walk in. <clears throat> but uh, now just the tools are not there to help them even do that. And so one of the core things that we try to do, and also, uh, frankly, some of the best run businesses already try to do, is they'll write the names of uh, you know, so we will pop up your name on their screen whenever you walk in, as an example. Uh -huh. because, and once we found that once they see it a few times and they see your face, they will just naturally start remembering your name. Right. And the moment they remember your name and they just greet you when you walk in the door by your name uh, without, you know, unprompted, then that's even just kind of the baseline where a lot of relationship then gets built off of. But right. if you don't even have that yet, it almost everything else almost just it can't happen because it's almost a foundational piece. Yeah. And uh, and so today, for instance, a lot of the best small businesses, they literally have whiteboards in the back where, and even like a Pete's Coffee is an example of this, where they write down the names, like hundreds of them, of all of their best customers and their their cashiers are then you know, have to memorize them. They get quizzed on it. Wow. Right? Like, just think about how manual that is, right? Sure. Like, and it, it actually shows a lot of care and a really impressive amount of care. Yeah. But, you know, how, how can we take the whiteboard memorization process and, and make that a little bit better? And, yeah, obviously that's juxtaposed against something like, uh, you know, some productized form where they really could care less about your name. It's just someone's run an A-B test and they found out that when they put your name first that there's higher open rates. And, right. if, you know, and if they've oversaturated that tool and you get numb to it, then they're just, you know, they're going to switch to the next thing yeah. <laughs> that the test yeah. spits out. Um, That's really interesting to talk about the whiteboard. I've, I talked to you before about this coffee shop in Sunnyvale that I go to run by Kenny. And, and for I've been going to this coffee shop for 19 years now. And, um, you know, I think Kenny knew my name since the second time I walked in in the room. Mm -hmm. And you walk in the door and he greets you from afar. Mm -hmm. And that has kept me coming back for almost two decades now. And that mm -hmm. I've always wondered, like, does he just have really good memory? Or does he, you know, <laughs> all of his cashiers remember my name. I mean, he probably has a whiteboard. And, that, and that's great um, because it really does matter. And I, I know the ages of his kids and he knows about mine. I mean, the relationship builds. Mm -hmm. And I... I think you you kind of alluded to it just now, and I remember you talking about this before that relationships go go through progressions, mm -hmm. and there's like a deepening level of intimacy, and mm -hmm. I I think that's really interesting to model that technologically because the other thing people experience like we want to be known, but there's also this like creepy kind of being known, uh -huh. right? So there's all these anecdotes people are talking about now of like you know I was having dinner with my wife and I mentioned. Uh, rollerblades and <laughs> the next day all my ads are rollerblades and like is Google listening and everywhere and and like that kind of being known isn't warm mm -hmm. because it's like and maybe it's because it violates this progression of like you learn your name you learn some bit, bit about you and, mm -hmm. and it seems like you try to build that in yeah. to technology well I, I would I would say 
in my hypothesis for at least for why that feels so creepy is is really goes back to the whole you know fully known and and and, and fully loved type concept where we're used to being known in the context of a relationship you know i am talking to you and mm. We are exchanging information. And so when you remember that piece of information later, not only does it not creep me out, but it's, it, makes, it makes me really happy. It makes me feel really cared for. Right. However, if you imagine you know, a, a fly on the wall who is not part of the relationship spying on us, right. you know, like observing the exchange of information, and then that fly remembers things later, it almost feels violating because that, you know, the, the exchange of information happened within a context of intimacy. And, you know, you, I like the more I know you and the more I trust you, the more deeply I'm willing to share with you, the more personal the information I'm willing to share. And so when something that is not bound by the context of that trust and that relationship knows those deep things, then suddenly it feels like, you know, it feels very violating. It feels like someone read my diary. Right. Yeah. That's fascinating to think about trust and you're trying to use technology to build trust. So a very simple example of how that might uh, impact product development is, you know, when, when most people measure their products, they're, they're looking to, you know, engage the person for as long as possible. They're looking to maximize session time or maximize, you know, the, 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 the eyeballs or what, whatever else. For us, the thought process is our technology exists within the context of a human relationship. And so when you're using the fi- a five stars terminal or the five stars product at a store, we actually want to minimize the time that you're interacting mm. with us. And any time we can enable, facilitate the interaction between you and the cashier, we much prefer that to happen versus right. you and our screen. Um, yeah. uh, so, uh, yeah, we, you know, our, our hope is when you walk in and your name pops up in front of the cashier, that they then greet you, and then that whole thing takes over. It's not just you poking at a screen for, you know, the next minute. How do you, you know, it's really easy to measure how long I spend on a page or how long I'm interacting with tech. How do you measure, you know, you're hoping for a progressively growing, deeper relationship in the, in the, in the context of doing business, which seems to be a hard thing to measure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> do you have metrics or, yeah. or is it anecdotal or what? <laughs> So I, I would say it's, uh, it's, it's, it's extremely hard to do this, and, and so we're really just scratching the surface. But the, the, the types of things that um, we look at right now are, uh, one, we'll look at we're, – we're, we're effectively right now trying to look at your behavior in the context of that merchant. So uh, how often do you go? Can we, are we increasing the number, amount of time you're going back to that merchant? Sure, right. Uh, you know, when you are uh, – when you are going to that merchant, um, are you uh, are you spending more money? Are you becoming more loyal? You know, uh, right. are we able to get you to tell your friends about that merchant, and are you bringing you know other people there? But if if you kind of think about what a relationship is, first we know we learn each other's names, and if we really like each other, you know, we're going to be spending more time together. We'll be seeing each other more frequently. And if we, uh, we really like each other, then at some point, uh, you will start bringing friends to meet me and stuff like that. Right. Right. And there's, and there's some escalating model of commitment. Mm. And so I, I wouldn't say that, 
I, I feel like we're even saying all this. I feel like we're just so at such at the beginning of this whole this whole mission I'm outlining because it's, yeah. it's such a long process, you know that. Um, but that's the general framework that we're trying to follow when you know when it comes to some of these things that we're measuring. And really, I, I think there's. Um, it's there. There's so much more we need to do for it to not be superficial. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but, it seems like there's all like there's the temptation to use what you're doing for the personalization mm-hmm. instead of to make it personal. Yes. You know. I mean, yes. And it strikes me that your tool could be used for kind of like any tool for 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 good or for ill. And there's probably some things you can do to make it more easily used to be personal, but. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, that's somewhat out of your control how people use it. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, and I, and I guess I, I don't know that I would even necessarily say that personalization, I believe, is inherently bad. Uh-huh. You know, I, I think it's just it's it's uh, even that is a useful first step on the spectrum, sure, uh, or a part of a step on the spectrum uh, relative to. Uh, a situation right now where you got a small business and you are and they know nothing about you there's there's nothing going on it is neither right. personal nor personalized and then the result is kind of the the heartbeat i would say of our local community of our local marketplace you know they're going out of business at record rates uh you know one, one statistic is over the course of 10 years uh, at the end of that only three out of 10 small businesses are left mm. and that's just a massive out of business rate if you think about Someone who's sunk their their a decade of their life into something, and only three out of ten have, you know, anything to keep showing for it. Yeah, that's um, hard. And uh, you know, the, the, those rates are lower than they really ever have been. And the the re- the reason is, you know, we believe a lot of this stuff at the core, where without personalization and you know the personal component, they just can't compete. Yeah, I think that's astute. I mean, I think part of what I hear you saying is you're just optimistic that relationships develop naturally. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's what, you know, with all the threats, I would say that we like technology because it offers to extend our humanity, but we're worried about technology because it threatens to degrade our humanity. Mm-hmm. And with all the threats that technology happens, I think in the end, our, our personhood, our humanity is actually very resilient mm-hmm. and relationships come naturally. And so you can kind of trust that even if you're you know, even if there's a lot of forces working against the relationship, you you have the advantage of at least people are face to face. Yeah, in your transactions. Yes, I would absolutely say we believe that if we provide the right tools to facilitate oh, something, that it will uh, that people will use that tool to build relationships and make the most of it. Yeah. You know, we don't want to be prescriptive in our process. We want to be an enabler. And at the end of the day, we believe if we give this tool to a small business owner whose you know heart whose heart is so deeply invested in that place yeah. they will be able to do extraordinary things with it right i used to run a young adults group and at one point somebody came and they were part of a group that was very not very social or something and i they asked me it was a peculiar question but they asked me how do you get people in your group to date each other <laughs> And I said, you just put them in the same room (laughs) and natural forces take over. You know, there's no, you don't have to convince people to date each other. It seems to me similar to what you're doing. Like if you put people in the same room with a little kind of aided 
help for remembering names and remembering kind of where the relationship has been, then you just let let it take over mm-hmm. and people form relationships. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. Um, and uh, and it's creating an, an environment that is, is safe and where that is valued, yeah. you know, because if you if I walk into uh, a Walmart, um, I do think there's still that human element that makes me want to say hi to the cashier and get sure. to know them. But the whole framing, the context of that experience, you know, it it it, it swims in. The, it would be sw- it swims. You have to swim in the other direction right. a little bit. It's a lot of forces you know? you have so, to fight against. Yeah, and so if we can lay the groundwork and, and grease the skids, then uh, yeah. then it will naturally happen. So let's shift gears and talk a little bit about you. You're a Christian. You have these values for relationship and interaction and being personal, and those are values that um, come from your faith and from your understanding of who God is and how he made us, mm-hmm. but you're also leading a company, mm-hmm. and it's not a Christian company. Mm-hmm. And so you can you talk about that tension of leading a company with kind of Christian values that aren't uniquely Christian, but they're... Mm-hmm. And so how, how do you lead with those values without kind of stepping on people's toes or making yeah. people uncomfortable, all those kinds of things? Well, I, I think uh, at, at a high level, you know, what, where, uh, what I believe is you don't, you, know, you don't need to be Christian to have my values. Right. Right? You can, and, and our values, by the way, aside from this mission, are shared humility, authentic relationships, warrior spirit, and joy every day. And, uh, and there's kind of an interesting story about how we landed at those. I but love all four you, of those. <laughs> those are great. You don't need to be Christian to have our values, but you do need to have our values to work here, okay, right? Yeah. And that's how we think about it. Right. And obviously, I as a Christian believe that those values come from the fact that we have a creator. Um, and I also believe that because we have a unified you know, a, a creator – whether someone knows God or not, his fingerprint is still on their heart, which is why so many people value those same things. Hmm. Because if we right. were truly just the product of, you know, random chaos and, uh, and uh, you know, and, and a series of dice rolls, then it's very hard to justify through natural selection as an instrument why you would care about humility. Right. For, as, as an example, actually, there's quite a few of our values that are either would be completely unexplicable or even completely counter, you know, to the process mm-hmm. of, of selection. Actually, you know, selfishness and maximizing your own survival and a lot of those other things would be right. people's values. But I, I actually believe the reason humility resonates so broadly, whether you're a Christian or not, uh-huh. is because we have a common fingerprint uh, yeah. in the creator who made all of us. And you don't find people, or maybe you do, I don't know, that say, ah, oh, I, don't, I don't think people are actually interested in relationship. I'm not interested in making technology to enable relationship. I mean, yeah, you don't have to sell your vision, it sounds like. Well, no, I actually, <laughs> I, actually I would say that there are people who say that all the time. Okay. And, and I, would act, I would say that that's precisely why our values are so useful. I, I think a good good company values or good organizational values it could be a church anything i think good values are polarizing hmm. they cause people to select in or select out um, right. values that are lukewarm that you know where they don't really do anything you know those are not really useful because then why why list them at all so we've had plenty of people uh, either for instance not decide not to work at the company through an interview process because they realize wait so you know 
you got you know for instance we say we believe here we we we're not trying to pay top of market ever we pay 50th percentile you know the reason you work here is because you you care about this mission you care about the values you will absolutely be tra- treated fairly right. in that we're going to have very transparent career ladders and comp sets and we will always show you where 50th percentile is at every step in the ladder but if you want to be paid 95th percentile as a simple example you know then this isn't the place and it's it's not because you know we don't we don't and it's not even because i don't believe that people should be paid a lot right, right? because in, in fact we do lose talent sometimes and i would much rather you know just pay to get the top talent but it's almost more a, a way of like guarding against the wrong type of person mm. being here so i can inf- ensure that if someone is here and they're really good that these other intangibles have meaning to them or else they would have never selected it um and uh and so there's many examples of how we try to permeate our value into our performance reviews and uh, and the onboarding process and all sorts of different pieces where, yeah, some people are here for years and years um, and very loyal because of what the mission of the values mean to them and others have self-selected out because they decide, oh, this place is just too fluffy and I don't have time for this. That's amazing. That That strikes me as a really bold thing to do, to hire people with that intentionality and, and compensate them in that way, it seems to be really, I mean, I think a lot of companies have values and they have, you know, flyers on their walls, but that seems to really be literally putting your money where your mouth is. I mean, <laughs> yeah, we, we definitely, you know, I, I definitely believe that for values to have any teeth, they need to actually be completely integrated into all the other processes of the company performance reviews being a very simple example. How mm. can you have values on the wall saying one thing? when your performance review is simply about how many sales you made. Right. You know, like, and uh, yeah, you're, it's, it's a very mixed message. That's great. That's really awesome. Um, talk about raising, raising kids. I mean, you've got a 15-month-old, and mm-hmm. you're a technologist, and you're raising your kid in a world that's going to be, I don't know, what do you think of as a parent in terms of technology? Oh, that's interesting. You know, I, I don't know that I've ever really thought about that or thought, thought about it that way. You know, I, I guess my thought has always has is more, well, okay, you know, the priorities I've been handed are God, wife, kids, you know, and then, you know, work, friends, every everything else, right? right. Everything is below that line. And so I feel like a lot of it, a lot of, you know, this whole journey for me has been trying to stay faithful to that prioritization. Um, you know, as much as work sometimes is a temptation to become a piece of my identity. And so when it's not going well or there's different things going on, you know, you, you, you so much want to put that in the limelight because, yeah, it, 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 it's identity challenging to, right. to not. Um, but to put that aside and, uh, and find my identity, you know, hopefully in Christ and prioritize the other things. And then, I don't know, I guess I just kind of have this feeling that, um, we are not home yet. You know, the the earth, this place mm. is not meant to be our home. And the amount of time we're going to spend here in the flesh is a rounding error compared to eternity. Right. And so I have no expectation that Caleb will be super comfortable while he's on this earth. Neither do I want him to because right. I feel like comfort is one of the, the the key tools of the devil to lull us into a place of, you know, complacency and, you know, being Sunday Christians where we go to church, we feel good about ourselves, and then we kind of go home. And, you know, to 
yeah, and uh, and so I don't know. I, I guess I've kind of always felt like um, it's it's a little bit good. <clears throat> it's actually quite good to remember to feel alien sometimes yeah. because it helps us remember that we're not home, and that helps us to prioritize our, our work and our views. Yeah. Um, and so, I, what I want for Caleb is to build him a very strong foundation in a, a personal relationship with Christ, where you know he, Christ feels so familiar to him as familiar if not more familiar than me or my wife do to him right where he he just knows that you know god is always there and as a result when you know let's say technology let's say the world becomes extremely dystopian and technology takes a very negative angle he never accepts that as as accepts it as it is because it just feels you know he feels like a fish out of water you know he knows where his hold really is and uh, so I guess that's my hope for him. That's beautiful. I was just listening to somebody who was talking about parenting and said that um, they thought they had it a little bit easier when their kids were teenagers because their kids uh, were were never going to win at the high school game. Mm-hmm. And if when, when you have kids that kind of have a have a competing chance to win at the high school game, there's a lot of bad things that can happen. But if you're kind of out of the game from the beginning, <laughs> it turns out to be a lot easier. That's, that's what you're sharing reminded me of, like – maybe that application is even broader. You know, if we can yeah. kind of win at the game of life in the world, then it actually becomes a lot harder to do some things. Mm-hmm. And if we realize yeah. straight off the bat that we're not going to be winners here. Yeah. And and in both ways, right? Because actually I would say my biggest worry for Caleb is not that he gets bullied when he goes to school, but that it's that he becomes really popular. Right. You know, and, 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 and that's and that's kind of the fallenness in me too, you know. But it's just like I, I just hope that he has uh, a foundation that can handle either scenario. But I guess acknowledging that it's when we're too comfortable, I think that's scarier to me than when we're uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Well, there's two questions I always like to ask people as I'm wrapping up. The first is, as you think about the future and as you think about Caleb and your own work, what are you most excited that technology could offer the world? What What are your hopes? optimistic hopes for technology or one thing you're excited about (laughs) you don't have to rank all your thoughts in the moment springing this on you quickly sort and prioritize all your thoughts on technology you know it's so there there's so many conflicting emotions around that and and so this is i'll just ramble a little bit off the top of my head so there's two separate thoughts that came to mind so the first thought that comes to mind is I just hope that um, I just hope that you know obedient people you know of, of obedient character are involved in wielding the direction of technology yeah. you know because when I think about when I try to forecast like or prognosticate what might happen, I feel so inadequate you know who am I to know what will be good or bad? A millennia from now right you know and, and one of the things i even i think about often is you know I, I i like to think five stars is like this big thing and it's this like great company and there's all the all this impact it's making but you know in in you know on god's chessboard maybe five stars exists because on one day one of our support reps is going to have one conversation with someone having a really bad day yeah and over the course of hundreds of years you know through a butterfly effect i could never myself figure out that was actually the most powerful thing the company ever did yeah that's awesome. you know and um 
and I like, you know, and we like to in our society over glamorize, you know, our, our roles. Like, you know, I feel I'm the CEO. I must be more important. Well, maybe actually from the kingdom perspective, the, the giant that makes an impact is just going to be someone on the front line here that does yeah. something great. And I, I'm, I'm just one instrument, you know, parallel to many. And so I guess the, the, so the first thought is it's the walking, you know, day by day with God and the, the obedience of that, that is my biggest hope because the moment I try to pick a goal or endpoint for myself, I, I know, unless, you know, it's, unless you literally inspired it within sure, me, right. I often realize that it's, you know, it's, it's You're not. You're just following. I'm just following. It's not, and it's not really, the, 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 the beautiful thing is going to be like so much more beautiful that and and almost right. you know it's like you're you're speechless when you see it yeah. because it's so much more clever yeah, than, than you great. ever thought and then the the second thing that comes to mind though is even in the context of disobedience and you know San Francisco that's obviously known for being incredibly secular and sure. you know and all that um the, there's a hopefulness in me in that we do see God's fingerprints all over the place like somehow you've got one of the most secular non-church places in the world and these days, everyone doesn't even want to work at a company unless it has some redemptive mission, huh. you know, like and right. some redemptive culture around work-life balance and all sorts of stuff. I juxtapose that with New York because, you know, I spent the early parts of my career in New York and there it's just like all about work, 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 you know, careers ladder. There's there's right. so many different things. And and so, yeah, like God, God is still moving. You know, he's using our evil for good. And so I guess I, I just, you know, I, I hope I have this hope that we have a sovereign God that can use all sorts of people and situations and um, and so far, when I look around, you know, look out these windows and look at Soma here with thousands of startups spread around, uh, somehow we do see Christian values infused in, in so many of them. Yeah. Uh, unbeknownst right. <laughs> to unbeknownst <laughs> some of them. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, the corollary question then is what what are you worried about? What what could be a dystopian future of technology? Like, do you have any sense of where things could go wrong. I think there's infinite ways that they can go right or wrong. Um, ways that seem right that are actually wrong and ways that seem wrong that are actually right. Mm. And uh, I don't know if this is the optimist in me, but I guess I'm kind of to the counter, the, the prior point, I'm, I'm just not that worried. I just believe we have a God who's in control. Yeah. And I believe that man is not clever enough to ruin God's plan. And so there are a lot of things that will probably look real bad, but they're all accounted for. He already knows what's going to happen and not happen. So, so it is. <laughs> That's great. I love that. That's a great note to end on. I mean, I think as I've been talking to people and trying to sort through these issues, that's something I keep coming back to is it's not up to us to kind of figure out the optimal end path and engineer a solution to get there and mm-hmm. get the greatest minds together. We're all just trying to follow the spirit of God within us and, step by step and hopefully conversations like this can be helpful along the way to people making their own choices and paths and uh, mm-hmm. I think your example is a great one yeah can I, and, uh, I'll just add one last thing that, that came to mind to, yep. as we close this out um, it, along the question you know this question of, like prognosticating what's good or bad or you know what really to me that boils down to what impact can I make you know what should I be doing right and when I've thought about five stars in the beginning, I used to think so much of it was, Victor, you know, paint a picture of this redemptive future mm. and, you know, willfully march the whole company towards it. And maybe then you can do something for God's kingdom right. and make a dent. But I've, I've really come to realize that 
you know, none of that, that, that really is not the path. It's just, and, and God very rarely kind of reveals the entire future with, for us. He usually takes us step by step. Yeah. And so all that just boils, you know, when I think of what is the single most important thing I can do, um, it's just prayer every day. Mm. And the way I think about it is when you have a boss and, you know, you have some sort of regular check-in, some regular one-on-one, and you know you're doing the right things because they'll you have a check-in and they tell you what to do and you know what your performance review is going to be based on. And so right. you just go back to them for direction regularly. And so if, if we would not miss a one-on-one with our worldly boss, how can you miss a one-on-one with your real, the, your real boss, right? Yeah. We are working as unto the Lord. The, the, the person here is not the real person we're working for. And so the only re- way we can know if we're on the right path is to, to not miss our regular check-in with God and then just to ask him, hey, what do you want me to do today? Yeah. You know, and by, and by following that, you have this deep assuredness of knowing you know, you're going to end up in the right place and everything you're doing is going to end up in the right place. I love that. Thank you. That's a great encouragement. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for chatting with me. Vic, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) Thank you for listening to allthingsnew.tech. We hope you continue the conversation by subscribing to our blog at allthingsnew.tech. We have a variety of authors working together to develop a biblical framework for engaging with technology. Check it out. Join the conversation.